0: Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back, getting you ready for NF- the NFL's conference championship weekend. We're down to three games left of football until September, which is sad. Uh, but we're not talking UFL. Yeah, it's that's true. But NFL or college, you know, the 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 football that matters. Uh, but we have had an eventful, eventful couple of weeks, uh, and eventful couple of days even since that me and Scotty were together. And we have Vito on today. We got the full pod going. I'm super excited. We got lots to get into. We're gonna open up the main part of the pod, or at least the beginning part of the pod. We're gonna hit on all the coaching stuff. We've been saying this is a weird coaching carousel because it was like a couple of weeks. No hires have been made yet. People are waiting for teams to get out of the playoffs. Uh, And then just in the last like two days, we've had three, four hirings. uh, And now we are down to just two more teams remaining uh, in terms of teams that still have a vacant head coaching uh, opportunity. So uh, we'll do that. We'll take our break and then we'll go ahead and we'll preview the AFC and NFC championship game. Should be a lot of fun. boys. Vito it's great to see you. Uh you opened up when you came on the Zoom by saying this is the most you've traveled uh in your life arguably, which is saying something from a guy who has traveled back and forth from Philly to Cleveland like four times in the same week within this last football season. So uh mm, it's great to yeah. see you. How how are yeah, you doing? No, and then we'll we'll check in with Scotty. No,
1: appreciate it. Uh doing great. Um I, what's been crazy, yeah. So, I mean, last I think a week and a half ago, I was in Portland. Uh, flew back to Cleveland. Then I went to Philly. Then I was up in New York. Then I went down to DC. Then back to Philly, or not to DC. I'm sorry. That, that's next. Then I uh, I was in Philly. Then I came back to Cleveland. Um, but uh, with all of that, what's been great is uh, you know, I'll tell you what. Time flies when you're having fun and traveling. But, um. I should have saved all those extra trips for after the football playoffs. Cause I already feel like when you said three games, I was like, fuck, you know, like, this is, uh, Yeah. uh we, we got to figure out what the hell to do. So you guys will love this at work. We're already talking about, I'm trying to get a uh, party bus to take us all down to the hall of fame, uh, after the football season down in Canton, got to figure out some football things to do, uh, after we finish up here, but no life's been good, man. Um, Crazy couple of games. I know you guys recapped it well on Tuesday. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just excited to preview what we have coming up here. Um, some great games and some crazy coaching hires, guys. I don't know about, so I'm excited to hear your guys' take on some of these boys. Because honestly, I have not done my research on the coaching side, and some of these names, I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. So
0: I'm excited to talk about them. How you been, Scotty? Yeah, yeah Scotty, let's get your check in.
2: I'm dude, this is uh this is as much prep week for me mentally as it is for the San Francisco 49ers getting ready to go play. Um, <laughs> you know, as as a fan, we have to do our part two. Um and, and I'm fully uh in on that, as I know you guys are uh as well. But uh I'm sitting here just getting amp- more amped by the day um as we as we lead up to Sunday. So uh I'm I'm really excited. Um really excited. Uh, for this game. I know we we've played in a lot of them recently. We've been lucky enough to do that. Uh the 49ers have and in their history we have too. Um but with each one that comes, man, it doesn't, doesn't change anything. It's still nervy. It's still uh exciting. It's still uh still all of the above. And as a fan, that's uh it's one thing that we love about the sport, right? <laughs> when it's uh when it's our turn. You felt that last year, Jeff. Yeah. Um veto a couple years ago before that. Uh and, and so we 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 love these moments and we live for them and uh, we will absolutely die for them as well. So uh, I'm here for it. I'm ready to go. I'm amped up. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super excited. Uh, It's it's a weird time, right? Because it's funny you said that, Vito, because I had the same thought. Like I work on Saturdays at the bar. So like I've been watching the games through the lens of like, hey, I work till seven, eight o'clock. Unfortunately, a lot of times it takes longer. So then I got to go back and rewatch the games after, but you're watching it in like a bar environment, but not from like, Especially, like I'm not drinking in January either. So like it's, it's been from the perspective of like watching it, but not actually getting to watch it and like trying to keep your eye on it and then coming home. And then doing all my assessment and evaluation stuff when I get back to make sure that I'm fully caught up on everything. So then it feels like Sunday's my football day, which is kind of how I'd been structured Throughout the fall and throughout most of you know the the playoffs, and yet you're missing like half the action, you know. So I feel like the fact that we're already down to three games, it's gone by so quickly, um, and then the same thing, the delay with the coaching carousels felt kind of odd. So it's been a little bit weird. The other thing too, and this is for any of our listeners, by the way, who are in the um, D.M.V. area, uh, I'm I'm. St- getting back into doing live gigs like musically and like playing live gigs. So I'm actually doing a gig at my bar uh, in a couple of weeks. So I've been like spending a ton of time, like like playing guitar again and like getting back into that and developing this whole set. And like, that's taken a bunch of time. And the next thing you know, it's like, you're spending time on this. You got so many different branches in your life, pulling time in the new year and like trying to do the whole, like, Hey, 2024, get back into shape, all that kind of crap that we end up doing. Then now all of a sudden it's like, how are we at this point where there's like three games left? We're down to three games. And, uh, I think we're set for an awesome, awesome championship weekend. Some people say this is the best weekend. I still think it's the divisional round only because like we had, we went three for four really for good games in the divisional round this past weekend. The, uh, championship it usually feels like 50 50 where like one of the games ends up being a bit of a blowout one of the games is really good some years you get like unbelievable finishes you get the 13 second drive between the bills and chiefs you get opportunities and and certain games like that that pop up but overwhelmingly it's like there's always that chance that the two games in the conference championship are going to be like legendary games right and that that's kind of the thing that always sucks you in as a sports fan so i'm I'm super excited to do that. And then on top of it, too, it's like we have a ton of fun, like just topics as as the NFL. Like, even though it's playoff time, the NFL is still dominating the cycle. Like Adrian Griffin got fired as the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And they're the two seed right now in the NBA. And like it within a day, it was already off the top headlines of ESPN. I, I literally just found that out by you saying it.
1: I had yeah. no idea. You know, and like oh, yeah. that's Bucks. I watched oh, well, the Bucks come gnarly. to gnarly like last week. <laughs> Went to the game. Couldn't have told
2: you, dude. <laughs> how was seeing Giannis live like that close? I saw your. Dude, he <laughs> didn't.
1: By the way, so crazy seats. It was awesome. Got like second row, like right behind courtside with this guy Joe. Funniest thing is he's doing Dry January. Definitely got caught by his wife being on like the camera because she was with other people somewhere else in the stadium. Got him. Hilarious. Uh, but um, yeah, he didn't play, and I wish they would have like announced the sitting before the game. You know what I mean? You could tell a lot of people had signs for him and everything. Would have loved to see him just as a freak athlete be there, but um, no, that sucks. Yeah, right? goes, it's goes, last yeah. time I went to, I went before and I saw like Golden State and Clay and Steph and oh yeah, and they sat everybody. Year. Yeah, so it's they're on like, back to backs. It's, it's happening way too much.
0: I'm just, I know I'm just the NBA's made an emphasis on like if you're gonna do, which like there's a whole new subset of rules about like the load management stuff where. Like if you sit out like a team, I forget who it was. Maybe the the Pelicans, maybe some, somebody got like busted for this where it was like they had rested guys and they went back and the NBA did an investigation into it. And they were like, yeah, these guys actually weren't hurt and you were doing load management. So here's a fine and the players get a fine and the team gets a fine. So there are they are trying to crack down on it because my thought is always like if you're going to do that, do it at home. Don't do it when you're on the road, because like, yeah, these most teams only get You know, half the league only gets one chance to see the best players in the league. Um, But all that to say that the NFL still always reigns reigns supreme. And it's not just because it's conference championship week or we're coming off divisional round. It's because of stuff like the coaching carousel and how like just there's a reason the NFL is number one. It just always, always, always is is. Um, And with that, let's get into it, because since we last talked, uh, Scotty, which was on Monday night, a lot has changed. Uh, I believe of the seven head coaching spots, five of them are uh, filled. So yeah. uh, the only two remaining, we have the uh, the commanders and what's the other one? Seattle. Seattle. Seattle, the Seahawks. That's right. Everyone else has been filled. And Bill Belichick is not the coach of any of these teams. Um, now, I, the way I've thought about doing this is to kind of go through team by team and be like, What's the t- what's the number one one we have to talk about, right? What's number two? The number one's obvious. All right, so let's dive into Jim Harbaugh leaving the University of Michigan, coming back to the NFL. Scotty's flipping his middle finger up. We know how he <laughs> feels about the Harbaugh's, even though Jim Harbaugh did bring you to a Super Bowl. Um, no, he didn't. He got us there. That's what I said. He, he got you to a Super Bowl.
2: Joked on the peanut. He
0: got you to a Super Bowl. Ah. To a Super Bowl. So did Kaepernick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. uh, But it's great. It's great to see Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL. Uh, He did everything he he said he was going to do at Michigan. He finishes off a, a really phenomenal run in college. Uh, I saw my old my old co-worker Danny Cannell out on the on the Twitter machine going in on this whole this whole long thing about like, well, this is going to keep happening. Uh, you know, guys are going to leave college. College can't keep yeah. their best coaches because of the new stuff. There's just like anything that troll Danny says, and I worked with Danny enough to know that there's there's always a kernel of like valid points in what he says in his tweets versus Danny sure. when you talk to him in person is like a totally way more rational guy, but his tweets make him seem like he's insane. Dude, he's uh, a really good guy. media person. You know what I mean? Yep. He is good at drawing up a t- And And I will say this,
1: and I'll say this to my dying day. The Racillo and Canal podcast was my, I think my favorite the radio episode. show. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, the radio, unbelievable show. It was show. So great to have Racillo,
0: who's not going to deal with any of that shit, and Cannell just being like, "Oh yeah." Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's still to this day one of that the really things. That really sounded like him, too. <laughs> my my junior year of of college, I would I would come home from class, and I would sit down and I would turn on Racillo and Cannell. And watch because i have said for a long time like rusillo is always my has always been my guy i didn't really know much about canel but rusilla was always my guy so like svp and rusillo days and then rusillo and canal always watched them together loved the show so much and then within two years of that moment i was working with danny cannell and it's still one of the to this day one of the most surreal things that's ever that's happened in so my sick. career which is like this dude i was like i was sitting on my couch like Smoking pot and like watching you guys talk about sports when I was in college, and then that turned into like, uh, now I'm working with this guy, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but can I do think Canel has a legit somewhat of a point there? But I also I worked with Danny. I worked with Danny long enough to know that like his Twitter posts and his Twitter comments and his tweets, all that stuff, is also different than like if you had a conversation with him to be like, okay, you had this tweet, let's talk this out. He'll sound much more rational and he understands a lot more, but people jump down the throat to his initial tweets because it's always good for clickbait to some degree. However, there is truth to that in college, like it is harder, but I don't think that that's why Jim Harbaugh left. I think Jim Harbaugh left because he went back home. He did what he wanted to do in college win his alma mater national championship, something he wasn't able to do as a player, something he was now able to do as the head coach. And to him, the goal is, and he's wired so weird that like the brotherly thing of like, my brother has a Super Bowl and I don't have one. And he beat me in the Super Bowl, weighs on him 100%. He was always going to come back. We always knew this about Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. No matter what happened, he was he's always going guy. to- Yes, he's a football guy, but he he and and sorry to jump in, but I think
1: what's important for a lot of listeners to understand is there's a lot of people who are college guys. A lot of people are Penn State fans. You have, you know, a a guy like Joe Paterno being there forever or even Ohio State fans or even like that's great. But think about most coaches. They view the NFL. I'll never forget when Bill O'Brien said it. He's like the NFL is the top when he came in they were Like, are you going to move on? Are you going to be here for 40 something years like Joe? And it was like, no, the NFL is the top of our profession.
0: I plan on going there. Yeah. And I think and, a lot of other coaches right now are thinking the same thing. And there are look, you have guys like Saban and you have guys like Paterno yeah. and Bobby, Like there are plenty of legends who are great college coaches who love college football. And that is their thing. Right. Yeah. I think for Harbaugh, it was, he, he's a Michigan guy. I don't necessarily think he's a college football guy. And he wanted to go down. He wanted to win it for Michigan to do the thing for his alma mater. To, to complete that check mark on his life and he went down and he did it he did it this year but he left stanford he left after coaching andrew luck and after coaching christian i don't know if he was there with McCaffrey, and i think they overlapped um like he he had something rolling with stanford which is fucking hard to do he cut his teeth as the head coach of san diego at the fcs level like he built his SDSU, way up you baby well <laughs> uh not even sdsu not no san it wasn't D- great it's SDU. S-D-U. yeah Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ah, he's out of the West coast Ryan conference. It was SDSU. He, God. Yeah. That's crazy. And he dominated the FCS when he was at San Diego and then he got the Stanford job straight from San Diego takes over for Stanford. But this is a guy who was a longtime starter in the NFL, had a long time career. It never worked out. He played for Chicago. He played for Mike Dicka. He has a, an appreciation and an obsession with football that the, old, it's like, okay, cool. I climbed the mountaintop in college. Now I got to do it the next level. It's like the guy who goes, Hey, I just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Everest is next, you know, like that's, that is what his mind is, but it's with football and it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, the it's the prestige or anything. It's about what are the mountains I can climb as a player, as a coach, that can get me to that top level. And as a player, he wasn't able to climb them, but as a coach, he got to a super bowl. He lost to his brother. You know, that sticks in his back mind, but he was damn close to to getting that super bowl. He now comes back one power outage away. Yeah. I mean, who knows what happens with Uh, that? It's one of the greatest what ifs in, in super bowl history.
2: None of this negative Niners talk on, on today. None of that, please.
0: Hey, we get, we get (laughs) plenty of time to talk more negatively about the, the Niners (laughs) later. Um, i'm sorry troll that was that was trollish that was trollish that wasn't that wasn't fair to you scotty but i am excited i am excited for harbaugh because say what you all about harbaugh he's not like every other coach he's not like every other football guy that we say when you say the term football guy you think of belichick you think of Sabin, like you think of guys who are like at their core like they their life revolves around football Harbaugh takes that to another level, even more than his brother. Like Jim Harbaugh is a lunatic. He's a crazy person and nothing else matters to him. He wouldn't eat chicken because he called it a nervous bird. Like this is the kind of guy that we're talking about. And I think he's going to do really good things with the Chargers. Like if there's one guy who can lift the curse of the Chargers, I mean, Michigan just won their first national championship since what 1938 or whatever, like the 1930s, 1940s. If anybody's going to come in there and build a team, because that's what he's about. He's about building a group of men. Like you could drop Jim Harbaugh back in Sparta, you know, for the movie yes. 300 and he'd be just as good of a leader. Cause he's about cultivating good. men to achieve a, a big ultimate goal. And like the NFL is in, in our modern world, the epitome of that. So I'm, I'm so excited. We can get into the nuts and bolts of it and more specific to the football side, but I'm just excited to have Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL.
1: I'm pissed. He's going to our division. I'm a Broncos fan. We already had Mahomes to deal with for the next 10 years. And now we got Harbaugh to deal with for the next 10 and years. And Antonio Pierce. Like, and Antonio Pierce looks great. So, so the co- I mean, Sean Payton won a Super Bowl, right? The division looks awesome. I mean, I think it's just the quality of the NFL right now. It's really high. I really believe that. Like, I think when you talk about a team like the Texans, who had the first and second overall picks last year going to the playoffs and it being well-deserved, you're seeing the balance of the NFL finally becoming what feels like Pete Rosell and all these guys way back in the seventies and eighties. Like this is what they wanted. Tagliabu, the commissioner before Roger Goodell, he made the 32 teams. Like, I think this is the ultimate vision of the NFL and we're seeing it come true. And I've heard this a lot, actually. Um, oh man. Who's the guy for Fox who Joe Clatt? He opens yeah. his, his podcast every week with like a clip, right? You know, the highlights like everyone does and, one of his is like, this is the golden age of college football. And I would argue this is the golden age of football. When you can have a guy going like Jim Harbaugh, winning a national championship, going to San Diego, where he has coached before, to your point, Jeff, just at a very different level. And knows What's he can league? win. Uh, well, no, he, when he coached at San Diego. Wait, oh, back. yeah. yeah. I thought <laughs> you and meant the Chargers. Like, and I was like, well, hold on. <laughs> well, no, you're right. You caught me there. I definitely I still think of the Chargers in San Diego, man. I can't. Me too. I was in San Diego a couple of months ago. They're still Chargers fans, by the way. So how, shout out to those people. But they uh, – listen, I, I would just say in general, when you see a guy going from college winning to the pros, especially with Pete Carroll retiring recently, I think of him winning at both levels, right? And you, I, I started to think about that, and it's almost the inverse. It's like, man, he, he was successful at college, goes to pros, was extremely successful, goes back to college, was extremely successful – And now let's see what happens when he goes pro, but like, uh, like with this, you know, with the chargers, but he has probably the most talented team that was open and he is arguably the best current coach. I'm not saying like, I don't think any of us are going to say Bill Belichick's in his prime, but I don't think Harbaugh's far from his prime. I, I think the people, when they look back at his coaching career, probably say the Michigan years were his prime. So like, I think we're right there and good for him. I hope he has success in the NFL. I really do for him. I don't, I hope his team doesn't, right? That's like the weird thing we have as fans. We have to live in like all of our minds are set in what makes us successful. But you're like, man, I hope that guy's successful. And when you talk to players and coaches, they say the same thing like, oh, any player, like, I hope they're successful until they play us, right? Yeah. And it's a very like awesome thing to see him back in the NFL. He was one of my favorite coaches. You guys, obviously, I talk about like Grant Calcaterra a lot. He was a, he was a Niners fan growing up. Because of Harbaugh, like that was yeah, his good guy. man, and and like ever he was the only one in the whole family that was like that, you know. But it's because that guy draws in people, and guess what? He goes play in the NFL. I'm just saying that like players are drawn to him, people are drawn to him. To your point, leader of men. I'm fucking pissed. He's in the division. What am I supposed to do here, Scotty?
0: Yeah, well, I, and that's brutal too. And the one thing I want to add on to what you said there, Vito, and and again I have other thoughts too, but I want Scotty to hop in here because he's the one person who like has been a fan of a team that was led by Jim Harbaugh and uh and he's also not always been the biggest fan of Jim Harbaugh. Um but to your point about his prime, be both. I think the prime for Jim Harbaugh is the last 3 years at Michigan plus whatever the next 5 years look like. Like I think he's he's in that the good old days now, you know, like he fully understands. I think when he was in San Francisco Players loved him. He was a really good coach. He understood a lot, but he was missing a couple of pieces of what it takes to not only be good, but to sustain being good. Because after that Super Bowl run, he had Brock. Oh, dude. (laughs) After he went on that Super Bowl run. You know, he like wore out his welcome a little bit, and Scotty can touch more on that too. Yeah. He burnt himself out. I don't think that version of Jim Harbaugh that we saw in San for San Francisco before exists now. So I think we're looking at a new era of John J- Jim Harbaugh that I think is going to set him up for being super successful down the line. Scotty, you it are was... the you are the expert in terms of you've experienced this, but again, it's been a long time. Your thoughts on this with the Harbaugh to the Chargers?
2: Yeah, it was uh, to your point, uh, both of your points really. It was the same unapologetic, going to be himself, authentic person um, throughout his tenure with San Francisco, which turned a lot of people off, by the way, uh, just from the from the jump, um, because it was so brash and and at times bombastic and weird at, at, at points. Um, but I think it was a more immature version. Uh, which is what you're saying, Jeff, why by the end of that tenure was kind of like where the rest of us were like, all right, buddy, like now you're just like batshit crazy. Like we've, we've, we've had a good run. Um, it's not, it's not me, it's you. Um, but it's, it, it was, I think a more immature version since then, obviously the, the, the struggles at Michigan leading up to the past three years that he's had there, um, I think are really have been transformative for, for him as a, as a football mind and, um, and, and as a football guy, which he he's been his entire life. Players in San Francisco will tell you, um, I, I, I heard a story recently about, um, uh, it was AJ Hawk telling the story on on a McAfee show. He was like, it was a game in Lambeau, uh, while, while they were in the middle of a, a, a run, both of them were in the middle of a run to get to the postseason And, uh, a random timeout in the third quarter, Harbaugh is absolutely chewing the ref out uh, on the hash. Like he walked all the way out there to chew the ref out. And the, I can't remember what Niners player it was, but looks at AJ Hawk, the linebacker for the Packers and goes, Matthew's crazy, but he can, he can, he's a damn good coach. Uh, And that's him to a T man. Like he gets the best out of you and he'll do whatever it takes to get the best out of you. That is something that we talk a lot about with, Bill Belichick, like we talked about toward the end of the tenure with the uh, with the Patriots, um, and, and obviously with the with the coach talk that we've we've had with prospective jobs in in this current offseason. I, I think that is a huge distinction above the rest. Um, and that's why I think you're right, Jeff. I think this is the part where, yes, he's he's taken that step back, not you know, from a career standpoint, taking the step back introspectively and grown and matured more, and is still somehow that authentic self uh, that he is with with a more mature attitude, um, but still the end goal is football guy, get the best out of your players, win, a- and he accomplished that at Michigan in the end, um, and I think that is is a track that will continue uh, on into the NFL in this stint.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I agree. And and I think you you touched on something that was interesting, right? He was the guy who he would do anything to get the most out of his players. And he learned that you can't do anything to get the most out of your players. You have to do the correct things to get the best out of your players and to get your team, your coaching staff, to get everybody operating at the same level. That's the maturity jump that he has now that he didn't have before. Yeah. My question now turns to this, which is that. I think we all like to hire. I think everyone is excited that Jim Harbaugh's back. I think for the most part, it's kind of like a universal. Like I think most people think he's going to do really well. But what are the challenges that he's going to face? Like if if we're sitting here Moms. nine months, well, <laughs> aside from that, I'm talking about like as now going back to the NFL, right? Not let's say nine months from now, you know the 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 Chargers are sitting there with Justin Herbert. It's week six and the chargers are two and four and they don't seem like they've, they've really changed all that much. have made improvements. What are the, what's the reason why, like what, what are the things that could happen? What are the pitfalls that we, you could foresee coming with Harbaugh because I think making the jump back to the NFL after college, he learned how to build a culture in college. He learned how to build a culture with coaching staff, which I think translates a little bit easier to the NFL uh the, when it comes to coaching staff versus like the way you treat players going to the nfl so what are the pitfalls that someone like harbaugh who has experience who has the gravitas who's won a national championship now and as we've said for a long time that transition from college to nfl there's like three guys who have ever done it it's like tom landry uh or not not tom Landry, who was the uh, the, the cowboys coach uh who used to coach uh, uh, oklahoma jimmy switzer in miami barry switzer Switzer, thank you and And then jimmy so jimmy johnson's the other one and then pete carroll like that's really it it's barry switzer i said i said tom andrew but barry switzer is who i was thinking of jimmy johnson and then now we're talking about uh you know the Pete carroll so what does he have to do differently right like what does he come in now he's already proven he can be successful at the nfl but he wore out his welcome what are the potential pitfalls? Cause I think there are pitfalls along the way. There's no way he's going to come in and just be a perfect coach in year one.
2: No, I think, I think part of it's the, the defensive side of the ball. Like that's been their, their, their problem so far, but they've got talent like this. Like if, if you're asking this question and it's the Panthers, I'm going, well, shit, here we go. Like there's, here's, here's 85,000 pitfalls that you could have. Ownership sucks. Uh, uh, your your players aren't developed. You 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 have to go in and do the whole thing that Doug Peterson did saying or after uh after um uh what's that fuck Urban Meyer left um it's not that if this is a situation especially on offense where he can go in handpick his guys to to help coordinate and and lead those guys at their position groups and and, and on offense and defense and special teams and they're just be the CEO, and that's what he's had success with. Part of the problem again was when we was with the Niners was that like he wanted to be in everything, right? It didn't work. And since then, when he was at Michigan, it was just like, hey, I got my guys, I trust them, they're gonna go run this shit. That's but he wasn't it, that uh, way
0: the whole time, though, Scotty. Like that's the thing. I, is- I've
2: said the last three years, yeah. And that's but the where, relationship when they've had
0: success. But the relationship with Sherrod Moore, the relationship with Jesse Minter, like it was Mike McDonald before Jesse Minter, like those things took time. Right. And so that's what I'm saying is like when he but, comes in here, like Sherrod Moore had been calling plays for the last couple of years. But yeah. it wasn't until so I guess, this year that it was that unspoken you understand situation. I guess you so.
2: can I guess you could call that a pitfall, like building those relationships. But again, like this isn't the Panthers. This is an established, proven what could be a top five NFO quarterback, talent wise, an offense and an offensive line that they've built around. Uh, Keenan Allen, who's getting older, but will still stay there. But they've invested in the draft and some key pieces that are are good pass catchers, and they have a good pick in this year's draft. I think the the personnel, particularly on offense, is not going to be a, a huge pitfall area for me. I don't think. But yeah, I think the only pitfall for me then, I guess, like like you said, is the is. If and how he can build those relationships with, uh, with the coordinators and the and the the position coaches and things like that.
1: I I just want to add this, because when he went to San Francisco and Scotty, tell me if I'm wrong here, but um, you had a legendary coach before that, right? Wasn't it Mike Singletary? Yeah,
0: I I think think it was. I wouldn't call him legendary, but it was legendary um, legendary
1: football player. (laughs) No, it (laughs) was it was
0: Tom the. Offensive line guy, wasn't it? For one year, and then it was Harbaugh. Why am I missing his name? He passed away a couple years ago. I think you're thinking the Raiders. No, when they were I'm gonna we'll get Zach Park on. All right.
1: Yeah. So Scott, either way, like he was right after I in my mind, he was right after uh Singletary. And so Singletary built that team up and they had a leader of men, and they just needed a co like a really good coach. And he came in, right? It was a good team, and he came in and it, it was quick success, right? Like, they had become better right away. Um, Maybe it took a year, but, like, very quick turnaround, I believe, when Harbaugh went to San Fran. Yeah,
2: and and we were going back and forth with Seattle. That was a legion of boom.
1: um, Yep, and so now what we're talking about is him going to, again, a very talented team that just needs, to Jeff's point earlier, a leader of men. If this team doesn't make the playoffs, I'd be shocked. I'm saying that right now. And that—that's probably where I where I oh. leave it.
2: Mute. Jeff's on mute. <laughs>
0: uh, fuck me. I was doing. I thought I clicked it because I was doing research. Was Zach, sorry. Okay. No, Zach Parker was doing research. Uh, by the way, I was thinking of Jim Tom Sula. Um, it went single Terry. Single Terry got fired mid season, and then Jim Tom Sula was the interim coach. Ah, okay. okay. Then Harbaugh took over, and then Tom Sula came back in 2015. That led right. to Jim yeah. Kelly. And then that led to Kyle Ugh. Shanahan um, and Nick Bosa. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, because of the Chip Kelly. In. Um. So, <laughs> my my thought on uh, going in on this particular topic is that I think Harbaugh is a much different version for sure. Outside of Justin Herbert, I don't think the Chargers are that great of a job. They are in cap hell. They just gave a long-term extension to Mike Williams last offseason for a lot of money. Mike Williams played like four games this year. I don't think he's played more than nine or ten in a single season in terms of the regular season. All right? That is a huge question mark. The offensive line, they have gotten pieces in there that have been pretty good. But I don't think overall we're looking at them as like one of the top-tier offensive lines. They have a lot of holes to fill defensively they've invested money into a bunch of places they were in cap hell this year because of the jc jackson situation because of the what but they've already paid joey Bosa to play i'll just say he needs to play they're paying khalil mack they're paying joey bosa like derwin james when he's playing has been great but the injuries with him the money they're giving to him their cap situation is not particularly easy i do think They have enough talent on offense. Plus, they gave uh, Austin Eckler a deal uh, this past offense, this past offseason, too. So they are not in, they're not a super flexible team when it comes to what they're going to be able to do in the offseason. However, I would not be shocked if they're not a playoff team. I'd be shocked if they were like a four or five win team. If they were a really, really bad team this year, I would be surprised. But I think the biggest issues I foresee for Jim Harbaugh is I see Jim Harbaugh coming in understanding the pitfalls that he had the first time around in San Francisco, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to, to, to fully develop the trust, yeah. right? I and, don't expect him to come in year one of a cursed franchise. That's in cap hell, even with Justin Herbert and all of a sudden LA. flipping the switch and boom, everything's good again. Go ahead, Scotty.
2: And consider too, that they are still looking for a GM. Yeah. So like, You need to pair that right guy with Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh. because that's you know look at these successful franchises that are the four that are left, even in this in this uh, championship round.
0: Well, and look, there's also there there are times when when NFL teams hire a GM to then hire the head coach, and then there's times when teams hire a head coach and then bring in a GM that's going to be able to build the team that the head coach wants. They give Jim Harbaugh a 5-year deal with a lot of money. I'm sure, I don't know the mon- the numbers haven't been released of it, but eventually they will at some point. I guarantee you it's stupid money that they're paying Jim Harbaugh to be the head coach. Yeah. He's in the driver's seat of that organization and whoever's the GM It's going to be their job to help pick the players that Jim Harbaugh wants. The Chargers are giving the keys to Jim Harbaugh to be the guy who's going to run this organization moving forward. And I think it's a smart decision, but I also think it's going to take some time. Just like it took time at Michigan, what he was able to do, I mean, you have to admit, Scotty, and I think you would agree with me on this, stumbling into Colin Kaepernick the way they did during that that run when Alex Smith got hurt, was very lucky and I think accelerated the track that the 49ers were on. There was a good team. I remember that era. I used to always play as the Defense Niners. Was I cool. always played as the Niners because you had Patrick Willis, you had Frank Gore. Uh, Navarro. The- Yeah, Navarre, had young Michael Crabtree when we still thought he was going to end up being really good, which he was a fine pro. He wasn't what we thought he was going to be, but he was a pretty good pro. Like there were guys on that San Francisco team. I always played as the Niners in that era of fantasy or fantasy in Madden because I could run the fuck out of the football. The offensive line was really good. It was kind of built for Harbaugh to come in and tweak little things. And then they stumble on gold. With Kaepernick during that run. And that was a big reason so why they were they were able to go and get up, nice all the way up to you know get into the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was the- My biggest concern, if I'm being totally honest about with Jim Harbaugh, is we watched Justin Herbert at Oregon operate in an offense that did not maximize his talent, right? That was, hey, you're going to do the things necessary to win football games. And if that happens. Great. And Oregon won a ton of football games. We're talking about J.J. McCarthy as a first round pick either this year or next year, depending on whether or not he comes back this year. He will be like it or not. He will be a first round pick because of the talent that he has. What Jim Harbaugh asked J.J. McCarthy to do was operate the offense, put the ball where it needs to be and rely on the running game. And so we're going to be in situation where i familiar group- most talented yeah exactly the most talented quarterback or one of the most talented quarterbacks in the nfl and justin herbert who we've been begging let somebody unleash justin herbert to go off and be justin herbert right but when we've had conversations when we had our joe burrow versus justin herbert debate right one of the things that's gotten brought up and i think it still rings true is that herbert is an analytical like option a option b sees the route or whatever he puts the ball where it's supposed to be on every single play and that's what makes him the analytics darling that's why all the nerds obsess over justin herbert what he doesn't have is the you know the improvisational off the cuff kinds of stuff that we've Mm -hmm. talked about with mahomes with josh allen with jalen hurts with lamar jackson with the other top quarterbacks in the nfl in a weird way Justin Herbert is kind of the perfect quarterback for Jim Harbaugh if he's going to go in and try to run a similar offense to what he ran at Michigan, which is a quarterback who's going to put the ball exactly where it's supposed to be. But I don't know if we're going to see Justin Herbert throwing for 5,000 yards and looking like the guy that we all see with him, because I don't know if Justin Herbert's wired that way. And honestly, I think it could be a perfect marriage or it could be wow, this is a coach who's not getting the most out of Justin Herbert again. And ultimately, that's going to depend on how many games they win. And if if Justin Herbert's pulling off these games where it's like 180 yards passing, but they run the ball 35 times, people in the NFL media are going to get annoyed because all the nerds just want to jerk off Justin Herbert as much as possible because as good as he is, that is the way his brain operates, which is here, here, here. And that could be perfect for Jim Harbaugh. But I am curious as to how that dynamic's going to work out, because if this is like Justin Herbert at Oregon 2.0 and and J.J. McCarthy 2.0 for Jim Harbaugh, then it could be a perfect marriage and it could work incredibly well. Or it could be, wow, Jim Harbaugh is not getting anything out of Justin Herbert, and it could end up being a disappointment. I just, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm just super. I fascinated. don't think
2: he's had this level of of proven NFL talent, at quarterback ever. And that, uh, to your point, I'm fascinated That's to see what it good. what it means. Well, yeah, but
1: <laughs> at the end he was good, man. Anyway, Kaepernick no, was really right. fucking good. Um, dude, some of the other guys, though. Like,
0: okay. So I want to I want to hop in there in a second, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and finish, yeah, and, yeah, you, and first say on
1: this,
0: I was just saying the the, the last thing to say is I think the last key for Harbaugh if he can get Jesse Minter to come be the defensive coordinator for the Chargers the way he had him there that is huge. Like that's huge for them because that defense needs. And, and again, that scheme, the Mike McDonald scheme that we're seeing the Ravens use right now, that is going to be the next big trend, right? We talked about it. We talked about it with offenses all the time. The defensive like McVay kind of mentality or Shanahan mentality is what this, what they're doing in Baltimore right now. But of course that also has a lot to do with the talent they have at linebacker and across the board on that Ravens defense. If Minter goes there, I think that's a good first step. I think that's something that we might see in the next couple of days. So outside of Harbaugh, which again, we spent the most time on Harbaugh because it deserves the most time talking about it. Uh, We touched on Antonio Pierce a little bit. We touched on uh, Gerard Mayo. So for the other three, we have Brian Callahan who got hired by the Tennessee Titans Uh, about 30 minutes before we started recording, Raheem Morris got hired to be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. And then we have, uh, Dave Canales, who got hired this morning to be the Box head coach of coordinator. He was the, yeah. Tampa Bay bucks, offensive coordinator this year. He is now going to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Um, Which of those three intrigues you guys the most Vito. We'll start with you Vito. Cause you seem you're, you're the one that came up with the bright eyes on this.
1: Dude. I think the Raheem Morris hire is crazy. Cause I was like, did that guy play recently? When did he, did he play like 15, 14 years ago? No, he Tampa coached Bay. 14 coached. years ago. Yeah. yeah. That was, he was a super young coach. Was it coach, 14 like years 30s. ago? It, it was like, I think he was at the that's time, he was question. one of the youngest ho- coaches. Uh, he was, I was looking yeah. Up his like early, um I think it was on his wiki earlier and just looking through his like uh career. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Say, but yeah, it was he joined two, Tampa
0: 2009 to 2011.
1: Yep. He was the head coach. And uh, that's crazy because he graduated high school in 97. So we're Three saying James. 11 years after. <laughs> so yeah, he was 33. Um, you know, about coaching when he was at Tampa. It's just insane to see what's going on here. Um, Like, you know, he had obviously been a really great defensive coordinator, so he jumped up straight from Kansas State. He was good to Tampa to coach defensive backs, went right from defensive backs to head coach, then bounced around, went back to defensive backs, went back to wide receivers coach actually in Atlanta for three years, which is kind of cool going from DB to wide receiver, right? Playing both sides there goes to the Rams. Um, you know, was I guess was the interim head coach in the Falcons in 2020, but it uh was a defensive coordinator for the Rams from 21 to 24. Uh, well, he took over season. for
2: Brandon Staley,
1: yeah, it, it did a great job. And um, and then the Falcons hired him now. Now, here's the thing the Falcons have made defensive hires before. I do like their defense, I think that's somewhere to look at, but. They gotta find that answer. And I, I just think that on offense, whoever they hire as the coordinator, it, I really believe this. And this might be a hot take, but I think the most important hire that the Falcons will now make, more than Raheem Morris, a head coach, but as probably just as important, not more, is who they hire as offensive coordinator. Because that offense needs to figure their shit out. I love the defense. I think he's, he's gonna do well. Too but you need to figure out the offensive coordinator and definitely the quarterback. I think that's a hundred percent true, but who is going to run that offense and what kind of offense are you going to run with all those skill players? I would bring I in do- whoever the fuck I could from San Francisco with all those weapons and just be like, what it, can I get your playbook and just figure it out? Like, can you run an offense that's Shanahan's please for these oh, players? Yeah. We get a game managing quarterback sure. that at least won't turn the ball over. The Falcons would be a playoff team so quick. If
2: they got a good pick to make a to get up and get one of those guys in this draft I I I'm I'm not unconvinced that Drake May will still be there with with how fast Jaden Daniels is rising um that might be a good spot for it but again this this to me sounds like a team we just talked about that has had their troubles right hire the the big defensive minded coach no, no knock to, to Raheem Morris. What he's done is incredible on the defensive side of the ball. Walks into a head coaching spot where the defense is already pretty good and and, uh, and the offense needs work. And that to me sounds like what happened when Brandon Staley got hired with the Chargers, right? Defense was pretty good. Get a defensive-minded guy because like that'll help fix the problem. But if you're expecting... Raheem Morris to like set and, and forget the defense. I I I we'll see. I, I don't know. He seems more like a hands-on guy to me uh on the defensive side of the ball, uh, rather than being like the the CEO of the the whole team.
0: Brandon Staley was Raheem Morris when he was head coach of the Buccaneers in 20, 2009 to twenty eleven. He was a young guy who was in way over skis, who was really, really smart, brilliant, cerebral, understood how to be like, hey, I'm going to run my defense and it's going to go great. And it was a disaster. It worked out terribly. What Raheem Morris is now is a dude who's 47 years old, who has spent time not only as the, uh, you know, the head as a defensive coordinator, he was the interim head coach for the Falcons in 2020. Yeah. All right. Before they hired Arthur Smith, he was, and there was a lot of people who wanted him to stay on as the head coach. This is where the experience factor matters, right? If you've been a head coach before, if you've you know you, you've gone through it, you've lost. You can say the same thing about Harbaugh. You can say the same thing about Pete Carroll. It doesn't work for every single coach, right? A coach like Mike McCarthy, who went on, won a Super Bowl in his first time, was a longtime coach, comes back, had success the first time. He's going to be a little bit set in his ways. But I do hold out faith for coaches who bomb in their first couple of years, right? Look at Lane Kiffin, right? Lane Kiffin when he was at USC, Lane Kiffin when we see with the Raiders, Lane Kiffin when he was in Tennessee. Now he's got Ole Miss prime to probably be the best team in the SEC uh, West moving forward. I mean, if you had to pick one team now that Saban's not there at Alabama, I'd probably pick Ole Miss to be the best team in the SEC West moving forward, right? So, I I think there is something to, and ultimately it comes down to the, the, the coach, right? Like who are you as a person? Do you take your struggles and do you learn from them? Do you grow from them? Do you turn them into better opportunities by all accounts? That's exactly what Raheem Morris has done. And Sean McVay was very vocal towards the end of the season about how like this dude is more deserving of a head coaching opportunity than anybody in the NFL. And on top of that too, like Raheem Morris has been in Atlanta He's worked with that front. I don't know how many holdovers from the front office are still there, but he knows the ownership group. He knows the people there. I think this is a great, great head coaching opportunity. I think it's a great choice by them to go ahead and get a guy who's still young, who has head coaching experience, who's failed, who's now going to come back, by the way, in the same division that he used to be a head coach in. And I think now, I mean, he was 24 and 38. Like there are way worse head coaching records out there than 24 and 38 for your career as a head coach. I think Raheem Morris is a slam dunk. I really do. I think it's a fantastic hire on their part. You look at how good that defense already was this year. He's going to get his hands on that a little bit, but you guys are both hundred percent, right? Like you have to nail the offensive coordinator spot, right? Like what is Dan Campbell without Ben Johnson with the way that the Lions started earlier on this year and, and, and in the beginning of the Dan Campbell era, you know, Ben Johnson's a massive reason why that offense is operating as well as it is. You know, what is Nick Sirianni without Shane Steichen and, and Jonathan Gannon? Like you can be a CEO head coach, but you also need to make sure that, like, hey, if you're going to be running this scheme because that's what this defense is, and that's what, you know, he wants to come in as the head coach of this team and, and run his scheme, he's going to coach that up, but he's going to bring in people to run that defense for him. Right, he's not going to be the play caller on defense. He's going to be the guy who comes in here and is the CEO type. They have to nail the offensive side. They obviously need a quarterback. They're sitting there with the what the eighth overall pick again for the third straight year. I I think it's pretty like early signs. Obviously, we're a long way from the draft. I feel pretty strong that we're going to see three quarterbacks go one, two, three. I think there's no question. Like the Commanders' new head coach. They're gonna have whoever that ends up being. They're gonna get a guy who's. They're gonna take their guy. New England at three. They're gonna do the same thing, whether it's whether it's Jaden Daniels or whether it's (laughs) you know Drake May, whoever it is coming at that third spot who doesn't get taken second. And Chicago is the one wild card. But I'm telling you now, if they don't take Caleb Williams themselves another team is going to trade up and take Caleb Williams and that maybe it is Atlanta, right? Maybe it is another team like that who just puts a shitload of draft capital together. And I mean, that'd be a super fun room of Drake London and Kyle Pitts and Caleb Williams and Bijan. I mean, all these weapons that are in there, but it they do need to strike oil on whoever that play caller is going to be offensively. Cause it's not going to be Raheem Morris. I think you can be a, the, we we've become so pigeonholed and, in, and in especially in, in talks of the CEO type of, coach versus the play calling type of coach. And we've been doing it on the pod here too, but we have to remember like every coach is different. Every situation is different, right? And ultimately that is the, the biggest, I think most positive characteristic you can describe a head coach of in the NFL is their ability to be flexible, their ability to be their ability to be able to change and, and, and ultimately adjust to what the team is. That's what made Belichick Belichick for as long as he has. Belichick's defense weren't the number one defense in the NFL for 23 years, right? Or for 27 years, however long he was there. There were years they lost in the Super Bowl. They gave up more points, more yards than like any other team in Super Bowl history, right? Like, and then the following year, the team was different. They shut out or damn near shut out the Los Angeles Rams. It's all about adjusting to what your team is. And if to me, Raheem Morris is in that opportunity, similar to Jim Harbaugh, where he can adjust. He can understand, hey, this is what we need. This is what our team is. How do I put the puzzle pieces together? I think it's a great hire. The defense, which is already good this year, is I think going to get even better. And then on top of that, you now have a young head coach who has experience, who's going to come in there, pick his offensive coordinator, pick someone from the Rams, you know, take a page out of uh, of D'Amico Ryan's book, right? He goes from San Francisco to go be the head coach of of Houston. Hey, Bobby Slowick. You're the quarterback's coach. You're the run game coordinator over there in San Francisco. You want to come be my new offensive coordinator, get a yeah. big fat pay raise, and get a potential head coaching opportunity next year? Awesome. Yeah, oh, good. Get, you go. get
2: those get those young, talented guys the hell out of the Rams organization. That's fine by me.
1: The same can be uh, said for you guys. There's a, a great interview, by the way, of Nick Saban and Belichick talking about that when they sit down in this HBO special. Oh, I love that special, yeah. Dude, when they're talking about like, He's like, well, there's an unwritten rule like that's great if you I want to go help you be a head coach, but don't undermine everything I'm building here to go do it. Like, don't take all the staff under you. Like, I need, if you're getting a job, so is the other coordinator and I need them. Yeah. Saban's whole point. Hilarious. Um,
0: crazy. Well, crazy And Saban learned quickly like, to then because yeah. uh, since that documentary aired the Saban School of Coaching was created where all of a sudden it was like, all right, I'm just going to take other guys who I've worked with in the past and rehabilitate them. And next thing you know, they're all going to be head coaches somewhere else. Uh, all right, two more coaches to get to here. Brian Call- Callahan with the Tennessee Titans or Dave Canales with the Carolina Panthers. Scotty, you pick. Where are we going with the next one?
2: I'll go Canales. And, and all right. I'll lead off because uh, to me, I, I don't understand – I mean, I I understand this is the rationale. I I get why experienced guys, um, particularly guys who've been around any part of the NFL let alone with head coaching experience, would stay the hell away from this. David Tepper's a a problem. Okay, like a a huge problem. And and that's why you're seeing the the Belichicks and and the Vrabels who was apparently on a plane ready to go for his interview in Carolina before they announced, right before they announced the uh, the uh, hire of the world, why would they want that? I, like to to me, this is that's the most dysfunctional part of the organization. It's not the coaching, it's not the personnel you put on the field. It's that the fact that you have gone through uh, like oh, ten head coaches, uh, and he owns what three uh, sports franchises, including Charlotte FC, uh, and and I think there's one other one. Um, that he owns. The fact that you've gone through 10 head coaches and just fired them on a whim seems like a king in a monarchy that's just like, pull this guy in. He disrespected my second cousin. Chop his head off, right? Like the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. Shit like that. That's what David Tepper is, right? It, it, and that's the problem with the organization. I get that. So for a young guy, first head coaching job, uh, it, it, Coming from the the same division, an offensive minded guy, to me it just looks like a puppet move. Like I don't understand why you would want to take that job as your first as your first gig. I get it, get your foot in the door, get experience, but it's, there's no upside to me with that uh, that job at all. So, um, I mean, good for him. I, I I think if you if you hit on it, and it's right with Bryce Young. Um, and that's the other consideration. Is like, did you get the right guy for Bryce Young? Um, I, if you hit on it, then then fine. I'll I'll come on here two years from now and and tell you that I was wrong, uh, because that's how long it's going to take with a first time head coach to to at, at the at, and we're talking at the earliest for a first time head coach to to establish that everything that he needs at the top and get the best out of Bryce Young. Um, before he hits uh, that that re con- recontracting negotiation, <laughs> that's you know good on you, man. I'm glad it's you and not me. <laughs> that's all I'm guessing.
0: I, I mean, look, D- David Tepper is no question an issue. However, you only get so many opportunities, right? And I think if you are Dave Canales, you look at this and you go, "Hey, there's a cat here who just got drafted number one overall, who was pretty fucking amazing yeah. in college football, who's w- one of the most talented college football players we've had." In the last 10 years, I understand the hesitancy to be like, do I want to go work for this guy? Did that stop Mike McCarthy from wanting to work for Jerry Jones? Did that stop Jason Garrett or Bill Parcells or Wade Phillips from wanting to work for Jerry Jones? Did that stop Jay Gruden or Kyle or Mike Shanahan or, you know, uh, uh, uh Ron Rivera or any of these guys from wanting to go work for Dan Snyder? I mean, don't get me wrong. We all have shitty bosses sometimes. Every one of us can relate to a situation where we had a shithead of a boss. But if the opportunity you feel is right and you feel like it's the best thing for you and you see something in it that maybe other people don't see, you go and take it. Not to mention, we're talking life-changing types of money for a dude who just got elevated yeah. to be an offensive coordinator. Even if you hang around for two, three years and you're making you know three million, four million million a year for the next couple of years life-changing money and that's to me the bottom of the rung here because these guys aren't wired to think about money as the offensive coordinator for an nfl team you're still making plenty of like you're making plenty good money but this is a whole nother like stratosphere that you're jumping yourself into so yes david tepper pain in the ass the frank Reich thing was a bad decision it was from the get-go I can't blame David Tepper from making that decision and honestly being like, Hey, you know what? We fucked up. This is a bad call. We're going to nip this in the bud now before it turns into something that could be even worse. The front office completely fucked them over. They make the trade to go up, get Bryce Young. It was a massive backfire. You trade away DJ Moore. You trade around a first round pick that would have been the number one overall pick again. There, there's a lot of things in place here that were bad decisions and David Tepper is responsible for it. But the front office is also responsible for a lot of it, too. I think what you do here is you go, hey, we have a young, bright play caller who just put together the best season of Baker Mayfield's career, got them to not only the playoffs, not only the divisional win, albeit like not the prettiest, whatever. But then they beat the shit out of the Eagles, which I think any team would have done that day. And then they went toe to toe with the Detroit Lions and a lot of it and Baker Mayfield's best passing season of his career is because of the guy who's calling plays. Because you know what Todd Bowles doesn't do? He doesn't touch the offense. That was David Canales' offense. That's what he ran. That's what he wanted to do the entire time. And for the most part, overwhelmingly, it worked. It was good with limited options, with a a makeshift offensive line, with Rashad White as your number one running back, who ended up becoming a really good player, with Cade Otten as like your number three target, right? And then Mike Evans obviously is awesome, but I look at this and I go, hey, you have an opportunity with a young offensive mind and a young play caller with a young quarterback who has shown plenty of talent they need the right scheme. And when you look at the similarities between what Baker Mayfield is, right? Undersized, obviously he's like more beefed up than Bryce Young, but still undersized, but cerebral player, he got easy passes for Baker Mayfield. And that's the one thing that we said over and over again about Bryce Young, which is like, nothing is easy for him. The offensive coordinators, the play calling, the scheme, none of it made anything easy for Bryce Young. And because of that, he had to sit in the pocket and get drilled time after time. With a quarterback of that size, you're going to have to get them in space. You're going to have to move the pocket. You're going to have to give him opportunities to make easy throws because he's not Josh Allen, because he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not built at six foot five like Cam Newton used to be. He's, he's not one of those guys who can hang in there and do everything. But what he can do and the skill set that Bryce Young does have is exceptionally special You just have to put the right team around it. And what Mm -hmm. I think the train of thought is, hey, Dave Canales did this with Baker Mayfield and revived Baker Mayfield's career. We can bring him in and he can do the same thing with Bryce Young at a younger age when you still have four years of control over him before you have to pay that contract and we can figure out everything else. And I I actually, I like this hire. I think it's a smart hire as opposed to last year being like, hey, let's go take a guy who used to be a head coach because that's going to help. That didn't work. Let's bring in a young guy who can grow with Bryce Young, who can work with Bryce Young and hopefully get the most out of him to, again, just not only justify, but to essentially like cash in on the reason, like, Hey, there's a reason we drafted this guy. Number one, overall, we just need to figure out the best ways to use him. And I think Dave Canales is a good resource to try to get the most out of a guy like Bryce Young. And I mean, I I just saw this stat when I was looking up the coaches and everything, but Bryce Young's 5.5 yards per attempt is the fourth worst in NFL history uh, with 500 passing attempts or more. That's so bad. <laughs> so bad. Uh Vito, any of this, I know you're you're still catching up. Anything to add here on Dave Canales? Not much, just
1: um honestly I feel for Baker. I don't know how many offensive coordinators he's had, but sure. like considering he had like 3 in 1 year last year, it's got, he has more offensive coordinators. I know he has more head coaches than regular seasons in the NFL, which is crazy. Definitely more OCs. Yeah. I, you just, to your point, he had his best year. He had one coordinator for a year. I feel like um, both of them deserve the year they had. Happy for both of them. Bummed, though, that we won't see at least one more year of them together.
0: That's, about yeah. And, and you know what? It'll be Baker was
2: like, him. Are you sure? <laughs>
0: Baker, <laughs> Baker's a free agent. <laughs> Like Baker can sign anywhere, so you know there there will be a team. I'm I'm trying to think like if Minnesota moves on from Kirk Cousins coming off the ACL, maybe he ends up there. Um, I I don't know where else. I mean, maybe Oakland or Oakland, Las Vegas with the Raiders. You know, like trying to think of like, hey, is there maybe Tennessee? With Brian Callahan, I mean, they, but they also, they have Levis. So that's yeah. probably a no. Um, it's, I mean, it but feels yeah, like he's probably going to end up back in Tampa Bay yeah. uh, and they'll try to run back at some of the same stuff they did this year. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Um, but speaking of Brian Callahan, that is the last coach that I wanted to bring up here. Um, this is the, the, the hiring that I'm the least excited about. Um, mainly because it feels like classic Tennessee. It feels like let's go find a coordinator somewhere. Come in. We just fired a good coach who was getting us consistent wins and we're going to bring in somebody here and it's going to kind of flame out and it's not a splashy name and it could work out. I mean, who knows, right? Brian Callahan did a really good job developing Joe Burrow. Obviously the job, I think the more impressive thing is what he was able to do with Jake Browning here this offseason. season. The one thing I've not been able to confirm yet is I thought Zach Taylor was still calling plays for Cincinnati. I don't know if that's true. It might've been Brian Callahan, but if Zach Taylor was still calling plays, then I really don't quite understand this other than he got the most out of Jake Browning. But I think a lot of that has to do with Zach Taylor. So I'm, I'm just kind of left with this one feeling like, man, Tennessee, like it feels like a team that's always been cheap that has not gone out for the big hire. You had a coach in that was doing a lot of good things. They're building the new stadium. They're trying to do some other things. They're clearly in the middle of a rebuild. I still disagree. And maybe it's just because, like, I hate the fact that they fired Vrabel at all. Like, I think that was such a dumb decision. That, like, no matter who they hired, I don't know if I would have come in, like, really excited about it. Um, I just don't love it as a whole. I I just think I'm left kind of feeling, like, meh about the whole thing. My, My whole take... Um, is is definitely uh
1: interesting here. I mean, it's a younger coach. Right? He's in his thirties. I mean, late thirties, still thirties. Um, actually, Sky, he's from up your way. He went to De La Salle High School. He's a NorCal. Oh guy.
2: yeah, Concord, California.
1: There you go. And uh, um, you know, again, younger guy uh, had a really good success. It felt like with the Bengals, to your point. And um, he was a coordinator. Does he benefit from a good head coach? Yeah, but hell, if you're learning from Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor, and it went that well. You know, you can at least understand what's good moving forward and what to look for. And I, I just think that even Titans seem to move. And and again, they're getting a younger coach. Guys, they're building a new stadium. They're they're doing all this stuff. It's a whole new. They're trying to renovate everything about their team. Yeah. You are to Derrick Henry, like everything they're gonna do here in this off <laughs> is gonna speak to the future. So to be surprised if they become a young team, if they're you know some splashy names maybe move there maybe they like even move back and maybe play the long term until the stadium's almost done like we've seen teams like atlanta do it before and i guess what i'm saying is like i think this is a guy who's younger who has learned well but to your point let's see how his first head coaching stint goes give him a year or two and see what's up i would not be surprised at him either you know succeeding or honestly losing his job in two years like that it's tough for a first time head coach
2: yeah, and I, I'm with you, and that's why I think, like, th- this has to be, if if the Titans ownership group in, in the front office is is of any sound mind, a long-term move. Because, to me, like, the fact that you even moved on from Vrabel, to me, signifies you are just blowing the whole thing up, starting over from scratch. Derrick Henry's probably going to be gone Uh You've got your quarterback, so you're set there at Will, with Will Levis. Uh, but everything else is is changing super rapidly, and and it's going to start from the ground. So like, you can't hire this guy and be like, you got two three years to turn it around. No, this is we're building with you. Um, and, and so we'll figure this all out together. And if it's not, then shame on the the Titans ownership group uh, for for signing off on it and firing Vrabel in the first place before that. Um, but, you know, I think this is, this has to be a long-term thing because, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure with everything going on in that organization, specifically the, uh, the new stadium build, um, uh, and, and the, the personnel changes they've made that this, this has to be a long-term, uh, type of
0: move. It, it does feel like it's going to be a, um, like a long-term type of uh type of situation and look i i do understand it like I, I i do get that um i just i feel like i'm just left with the whole the whole conversation feeling just a little a little but just then, meh you know just a little meh yeah
2: but that begs the question then like if you're if you're trying to and i understand the the counter argument is why would you hire a guy at at his age and, and uh who we're not sure is is uh has still got it why wouldn't you bring in a guy like Belichick to build off of, right? Like, I don't understand how he's getting interviews. Because second I interviews. Don't, Cause interviews. what are we doing poking around? Like, are we, is everybody too smart for, for everything? What do we doing? No, it feels I like think the, people the Lamar see... Jackson thing in the off season.
0: I think people understand where Belichick's at in his career. Like, and that is something that's worth talking about. I like, we're going to go through the cycle and Belichick's really not going to get a head coaching job. Um, it's surprising. You know, you would think somebody would jump on that, uh jump on that opportunity, but it's I, I I don't think Belichick's done. Maybe he takes a year off and comes back, but at that point he'll be what 72. Um, I don't know. I think A, I think there's a little bad blood. I think a lot of people don't want to bring that in. And then B, I think there's a lot of front offices who want to come in and go, like, hey. I'm trying to protect my job. We're trying to build something here. Belichick's going to come in and he's going to have the authority, right? Like, that's what we said about Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers. Like, it's Harbaugh's team and they're going to fill in the front office to help support that. I feel like with Belichick, you kind of have to do the same thing. But I think part of the reason why there's not a lot of buzz about Pete Carroll either is because you're like, who wants to bring in a 70-year-old head coach but, who may only be there for a few years?
2: Who cares if you win, Like... And I, no I get guarantee. that it's a big if. I get there's, that it's a big if. But again, it's the same. Like, look at the teams that fired coaches. It was all the teams that were in on Lamar in the off season didn't take Lamar. And hey, look, Lamar's in the in the AFC Championship game, and it was like, well, we don't know if he's going to fit our skate. Fuck you, Lamar's no, one of the best quarterbacks in the world. It's not this.
0: It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. If you hire the wrong head coach, it's just like if you pick the wrong quarterback. It's not to say that nobody. All those teams sort of loved Lamar right? You're giving up capital to get Lamar. You're affecting the way that you can build out the rest of your roster when you get Lamar because of the salary cap, because of the draft capital that it was going to be two first round picks minimum because he had, he was signed. Like, again, we can, you can shrug your shoulders all you want, but I'm telling you, this is how front offices work, Scott. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. So I'm just saying, are there people that they're they're not, it's not the same thing because if, you're, if you go off and you do this move to get Lamar, or when people are talking about with Deshaun Watson or any of these guys, and you're giving up multiple first-round picks, and you're signing them to a long-term deal, you are setting your franchise. If it doesn't work out, you're setting your franchise back multiple years, and you're using, losing draft capital. If you go after Bill Belichick, you are also, and it doesn't work out, you are setting yourselves back a minimum of three years. You get to save the draft capital aspect of it a little bit for sure. but that's where these teams are looking at. And if you are Tennessee and you're looking to the future and you're thinking 10, 15 years down the line, like, yeah, you're, you're probably not going to bring in bill Belichick. If you're Atlanta, that was the one that made the most sense. Arthur blank really wanted him, but the front office didn't want it because they don't want 72 year old bill Belichick coming in there and bossing around and telling them what they should do or not do from a player personnel standpoint. When bill Belichick has been a terrible GM for a decade, he's been an amazing coach but he's been a terrible GM. So I, to me, it's like, I don't know if you can bring in Belichick and say, hey, you have zero control over the personnel. And I think ultimately how these meetings and these interviews, however they played out, probably proved that that was going to be true. But also the NFL is moving younger. It always is just like any business. You're always looking for like the younger thing. You have the old heads with all the money who are in charge of it, but you're trying to move younger and the the, the it crowd right now in the NFL are the young play calling, you know, gurus that you see from the Shanahan and McVay branch, because that's, what's been working across the NFL. And that's what guys are going to end up doing. And like it or not, the NFL makes dumb decisions every single year, but that's kind of the truth of it. And it's weird to me that the Falcons were the only team that interviewed Belichick and that he's going to walk away here and not have a chance. But I mean, I also understand where the NFL is coming from, and it's yeah. hiring, it a young, hiring a I young, hiring a young head coach is going to protect your job a lot more than bringing in Belichick. As weird as that is to say, your the leash gets extended I, two years
1: I because you have a young.
0: I'd be so pissed. I don't. Could you imagine him in college? He would. No, he doesn't. Want, here's the deal. His he doesn't want to deal with the different than everybody. In NIL. That's the thing, though.
1: You could go into your high school group, be like, I don't give a shit if you come here or not, but I can tell you on the best coach you're going to go under. And they're like, Yeah, you're probably right. Like, you know, that's how Sabin's. She so doesn't want to be
0: getting on private jets and flying around to this play and this recruit and this recruit no. and doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's a 24 seven, 365 job being the head coach of a, of a, you know, power five school.
2: Leaping in tree houses.
0: Yeah. I hate. It. I would say this odds that Bill Belichick is a head coach in the NFL again, I'd say is like minus. 200 yes yeah i i
2: agree like take the step back like see okay i wanted to
0: say less but i i still don't i think think
1: minus 140 i think it's a favorite it's hard after one year it's really hard yeah i will say this though and to your point earlier jeff like yes a lot of teams are looking longer term broncos hire gary kubiak we won the year, uh, and then a year later, he had to like leave the team. So like yeah. things happen, even with young coaches. He had ties at with the organization what? and stuff. His son's too. getting looks and too. He's Peyton. with the Niners. That was a Peyton yeah. deal too. Yeah, Peyton was a huge aspect of that. That's why I didn't bring it up earlier because I don't yeah. think it's as good of a point without Peyton. But I understand but what you're saying. The Point is, is like if you have that team, you might not get together with a run with Bill for three years, but I don't think any of those teams are looking for head coaches. And that's yeah. where
0: we're at. Um, all right, the last thing mentioned here we don't have to get into it, but just noting the NFL award finalists were announced today Josh Allen, Lamar, Christian McCaffrey, Dak, and Brock Purdy, uh, listed as finalists Two. for the MVP 240. Um, Offensive player of the year Tyreek, Lamar, CeeDee Lamb, McCaffrey, Dak, defensive players of the year, Deron Bland, Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, TJ Watt, coach of the year, Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Rons, Kyle Shanahan. Kevin Stefanski, absolute injustice to uh, Shane Steichen.
2: Shane, yeah, what the hell?
0: Not even a top five candidate. That's bullshit. That's
2: ridiculous. Uh,
0: Did you say
2: D'Amico was on that list?
0: He is on that list. Yeah, okay. and I but would no imagine Shane he'll, he'll probably get win, out of yeah. here. I mean, hey, yeah, I, I don't. One of them made the playoffs. I guess one of them had to. Uh, offensive rookie of the year: Jamar Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Puka Nakua, Bijan, and CJ Stroud. I think that'll go that'll to CJ. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Defensive, I don't know. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Joey Porter Jr., Kobe Turner, and Devin Witherspoon. I WPJ. think Jalen Carter. I go, think, baby. Yeah, I think Jalen Carter is like a minus, minus like 400 yeah. favorite to no, win that. Uh, and then Comeback Player <laughs> of the Year, Flacco, DeMar Hamlin, Baker this Mayfield, Matt Stafford, and Tua. It's crazy because in years past, we've been like, who the hell are we giving this award to? In other years, Flacco, Baker, Stafford, and Tua would all win lights out. Yep. But Demar, I mean, you have to give it to Demar. Even though, I mean, I look, saw a funny thing got on one on carry Twitter. this year, and how did it turn out?
2: I saw a funny yeah. thing on Twitter that was like, uh, yeah, Demar Hamlin like came back from death on the field, but Joe Flacco came back from playing on the Jets, and that's almost as bad. So, yeah, like, which like, is, is worse, just- <laughs>
0: from the Jets to the Browns? Like, honestly." Uh, it, you rather- <laughs> It is kind me. of a, it is, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild. It's, it's, it's crazy. I don't know. Good for those guys. Yeah. DeMar, uh, DeMar deserves
1: a fucking different
0: award, like a
1: commissioner's yeah. medal. Uh, or name
0: just- it after <laughs> him or something. Yeah. I don't that know. That would <laughs> be great. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. That's we said totally we were going to talk about that on Tuesday, on Monday's pod, uh, we recorded Monday and then we never got to it, but just what a, what a bold move. And apparently it was his call. Like he had the green light to do that. What an incredible story that would have been if that had been, like, the play that, like, seal you know, that gets in the first down, they get score a touchdown, whatever. I mean, there was plenty of time left when that happened. But, yeah. All right, let's take a break. We talked for a while. We got to preview the AFC-NFC championship games after this. So, uh, just hang tight for just a little bit. We'll be back, and we'll get you guys ready for the weekend. Two out of the remaining three games of football coming up this weekend. We'll get you ready. All right, let's do it. AFC-NFC Championship Games, Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time and 6.30 Eastern Time, CBS and Fox. Chiefs-Ravens will be your first game, so we'll start there. What does Kansas City need to do to win this game, right? Because right now, Baltimore is a four-point favorite. Baltimore uh, in uh was a DVOA plus, or uh, there's a weighted version of DVOA that is... Uh, essentially, weighs in the more like recent games heavier, and they're like the second or third highest DVOA in the, or no, they are the number one uh, highest weighted like DVO and weighted DVOA in essentially the history of DVOA, which I think goes back to like the late 80s, early 90s. So essentially, the, the Ravens are playing better football right now than, uh, and in the last like eight weeks than any team in the history of football, statistically, according to DVOA, which is pretty insane when you think about it, but also makes sense. I mean, they have just been throttling teams defensively. They're on another level, but it's Patrick Mahomes, right? This feels like unstoppable force meets immovable objects because it's like you can say all you want about how incredible Baltimore is, the defense, Lamar, all this stuff, and you go, yeah, but, you know, Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. So where do you fall on this? Because this is a tough, this is a tough game to try to figure out because of that reason. All the odds tell you to go, stick with Baltimore. That's the move. But Kansas City, I mean Mahomes, Kansas City, they are really, they're special, man. Andy Reid and Mahomes together, it's special. There's not, they, there's, there's been no force, and we saw this in the Brady era where you think, oh, the Colts, the Steelers, the Ravens. The Broncos, they are, you know, oh, look at all the talent. They're so much better, and yet Brady finds a way to do it, and I feel like we're at that point with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs.
1: They're there. Uh, it's hard to bet against them. Like, I had the Ravens going to the Super Bowl. I still believe that. The problem is then I'm like, oh, wait, he's going up against Mahomes. And, like, it's just hard to get a bet against that guy right now. Man, he's. Is- it just seems like every time in the playoffs in the last five years, he's just turned it on. It's insane to see that he's got on the AFC championship every year he started. That's one of the most ridiculous stats that I've, you know what I mean? Like what? Uh, But at the same time, we're talking about Lamar, who I believe is the MVP. And I think a lot of people do. And I also think that he's the most unique Uh, team and the unique quarterback in a unique team in a unique offense. The defense is great against the pass. I think Mahomes is going to have some trouble against that defense. When you break this whole, like, you know, lineup <laughs> down from one side to the other, the craziest thing is what's going to happen on the inside of the line. Um, and and I think all of us know that Chris Jones is going to have to have a day and um, that defensive line for the chiefs to have any success. And then on the flip side, like I, I just believe in this Baltimore defense. I think it's all over the place, and I just don't think Mahomes has as many places to go. I think they're going to consolidate and run a lot. I really like Kyle Hamilton against the run. Right, I, I, I just believe in the players that need to play well against the Chiefs to defeat them in this matchup, and that's why I'm going to go with Baltimore, and I think that. When you're talking about matchups, yes, Travis Kelsey in the playoffs with Mahomes is unbeatable, but Kyle Hamilton's a freak. Some of those linebackers can fly out of the in- – like watch the zone coverage by the Ravens and watch how fast their linebackers move laterally compared to like most teams in the NFL. They are so They don't good. have to drop safety
2: help. They can use safety on coverage.
1: Yeah, they're dude, they're incredible. And I just think that that side of the ball versus Mahomes, yes, this is the best defense Mahomes has ever had since we've seen him. In the NFL, but I think this is also, again, one of the most unique offenses that'll wear out the defensive ends that will run off tackle and continue to do so. And then even if you are free, finally, you're the guy being red. So you're frustrated. You're confused. Your safeties are flying down. And then all of a sudden they pull a play action on you. This team does it, you know, just as well as anyone in the NFL. Um, Well, I should say at least in the AFC and uh, you know, I think they're going to come out on top. They're minus four, which seems insane to give Mahomes points. And I can honestly tell you that I don't know who I'm going to personally bet on. I think Mahomes plus four and a teaser with whatever Detroit's down is going to be my play. Like tease both these games and get the points. But if you're telling me money line, you know, I'm taking Baltimore. And I think with the actual spread, I'm going to take Baltimore. But it, it I mean, four points is a lot to win by against the Chiefs. But I think Baltimore can do it.
0: What about you, Scotty?
2: There's a lot of injuries on that on that cheap side. You know, uh, a lot. Uh Willie Gay, uh, at the linebacking core in particular, the both cornerbacks, Lajarius Sneedon and, and McDuffie are banged up. Um, it's 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 gonna come down to that, I think. Like, will Lejerius and Mark you don't Discount the fact that Mark Andrews is probably coming back for this game, and that's a problem for that linebacking core if it's banged up, um, because then that's another weapon. Like Lamar's been good without him in the lineup, right? And again, we talk about Lamar, like, like usually with a quarterback in the league, like you account for for the ten other players on the field uh, for the most part. Not every quarterback, but you account for the other ten players. Lamar's the eleventh that you can't. That you have to account for, as as a runner, as a passer, uh, because if you don't fill those B gaps with your linebackers, oh by the way, Mark Andrews is open over the middle. If you don't fill those line those B gaps with your with your linebackers, um, or or a safety coming down to drop help, oh by the way, he can throw sixty yards in the air and hit the and hit say Flowers on the deep ball. That's the the problem that he presents for everyone. That's well documented. But I think this is where. Experience wins out. And I think this is where uh, this is going to be the theme of the weekend. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I think this is, you talk about like it's 50-50 in, a, in AFC champion, or conference championship weekend, which game is going to be a, a really tight ball game, 50-50. One of them is going to be maybe a potential blowout, Um, seemingly. Uh, I think the Chiefs have the DNA. And I think they'll keep it close. I really do. Um, I think they cover the four points. I think this is a field goal game. I don't know who's going to win. You can pick them at that point. I think Baltimore wins in the end uh, if you're giving them a field goal. But I think it's a three point game. Uh, so if you can get that at four, uh, I'm going to take the Chiefs to to cover the four on the road uh, in, in a loud setting uh, against a really good defense. Who like uh, like look the 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 Chiefs are going to have their struggles on offense getting the ball to travis kelsey is going to be a problem when you have kyle hamilton dropping down to to help cover him bracket him with patrick queen and and roquan but again like if you're going to have to commit those guys you're going to be able to run the ball with pacheco and then when you have to pull those guys up to help stop that run there's there's mvs or uh, or or Rasheed rice over the middle for uh, for an underneath like this game is going to be really really tight i think it's it's down to the wire three point game in the end uh so give me the chiefs to cover
0: yeah, Chiefs, Chiefs banged up with injuries. Um, Mark Andrews is uh, expected to play for the first time. He has not fully been activated yet, but he has practiced fully. He practiced last week, too, before the Texans game. Uh, I think they were just making sure he was going to be good before he comes back. I see this game going in two different ways. I see one where Baltimore is just clearly the better team. They're healthier. We all come in, we do the Mahomes thing, and it just doesn't matter because Baltimore is just that good defensively.
2: And we're like, oh yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we overthink it because it's Mahomes. And And for the record, Mahomes deserves every benefit of the doubt that we can possibly give him. But I look at this game and I see one avenue where it's just, all right, they let Mark Andrews get out there a little bit, and then they throw in the receiver and everything else. And it's basically the same team. Sprinkle in a little Mark Andrews. The defense goes nuts. The offensive line doesn't hold up. The defense for Kansas City isn't able to do it. And boom. The other way I see this, which is that Mahomes just makes the most out of everything, which he's always been one to do. And even the way that like Rasheed Rice and some of the guys have looked so far in the postseason through the first few games for Kansas City has been like, holy shit, they're going to go do it again. It's going to be another run, right? If they're able to do that offensively, get the ball into the hands of Rasheed Rice, into Travis Kelsey, right? It's going to be tough because you're going to have to do with Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton all taking turns covering Travis Kelsey, which is a really hard assignment. So so much of this is going to be dependent on Marquez Valdez-Gantling and Sky Moore and, uh, you know, uh, Canarius Tony if he plays. Yeah. <laughs> but mainly it's going to be Rasheed Rice and it's going to be Isaiah Pacheco, who's also a little bit banged up going into this game. I still feel like in my gut that looking at Kansas City, I just am always so petrified of Patrick Mahomes that I have a hard time seeing a world where they just get blown out in a game, but it happens. You know, Brady got his lumps from the Ravens and from Pittsburgh and from Indianapolis. Like they 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 took their lumps from time to time. You know, we look back with this perfect revisionist history of Brady that we always compare Mahomes to as if Brady was perfect in every single playoff game. That's not how it worked. You know, Brady had plenty of issues in the postseason. Yes, the totality of his career makes it seem like he was the almighty figure, and he was because Every time Brady got the ball back with two minutes left in a game in a one-score game, you thought the Patriots were going to go down and score a touchdown because that's what he did. And Mahomes is the same thing for now. And if the Chiefs win this game, it's not going to be because of Mahomes. Mahomes and the offense has to do what they've been doing, which I was listening to Mina Combs' podcast earlier today, uh, or yes, earlier this week, and her and Dominique Foxworth were talking about, like, what's incredible is despite all of the doubt And all of the the commentary that we've had as media people and as everyone else in the media has talked about when it comes to the receivers and the distrust and well, how can you throw it to MVS and how can you do this? Mahomes doesn't give a shit. Mahomes is still throwing these balls to these guys. He's still proving like, hey, I'm going to give you opportunities. Go out and make a play because Mahomes knows that he has to do that in order for the Chiefs to win. So Mahomes is still giving these guys opportunities. So Aside from, yes, those guys need to make the plays offensively. Pacheco needs to be able to run the football. They need to be able to get a push at the line of scrimmage, which I think you can do. We've seen the Rams be able to run the football. We've seen some teams be able to run the football effectively against Baltimore. So if you're able to do that, it's hard, but that at least forces Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith to to, to hesitate a bit, right, to come up and make those plays. That is something that can work within the Chiefs' favor. To me, where this game is won from Kansas City is in the defensive side of the football. If they're able to play that really aggressive, physical press man coverage that McDuffie and Snead have been playing all year, where they get in the grill, in the face of these wide receivers. You got a rookie over there, Zay Flowers, who's been tearing people up, who's a small wide receiver. LeJarrius Snead was putting Tyreek Hill onto the ground right? One of the arguably the best wide receiver in football. You don't think he could do the same thing for Zay Flowers and force a play completely off its rails because, hey, in this moment, we are stronger. We are more aggressive. We are more physical. We are able to go out and do that. They can. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm saying they're can. So in this world where Kansas City is able to win the game, it's going to be because those outside corners are jamming, playing super physical football on the outside, forcing Lamar to be spectacular. And the one thing that we've we've seen it happen once this year, where Lamar was spectacular, was in that Rams game. However, as we've talked about in that Rams game, Lamar missed on multiple opportunities and even on the multiple deep the ball touchdowns, those yeah. deep ball plays. He is the one area you can criticize Lamar this year is he's not been super accurate throwing the deep ball. He really never has been, but this year in particular it's a busted coverage that leaves somebody wide open. You know, the one that OBJ was falling backwards into the end zone, catching it on his ass. Yeah. Bad throws
2: underthrown. Yeah. That's,
0: that's the thing is like, if you can force Baltimore into a situation where they are doing that. And then all of a sudden Lamar looks around and goes, Hey, there's my trusty friend, Mark Andrews back in the lineup. And he starts overly relying on Mark Andrews, right? The way that we talked about, which was like that Ewing effect, which is as soon as Mark Andrews was out, Lamar started spreading the ball a lot more and the offense actually opened up and the passing numbers went up for Lamar. So to me, he still played well, like likely was great. Absolutely. Like likely was a good replacement. He wasn't Mark Andrews, but part of that was the, the target share to the tight end went down drastically for Lamar. So to me, it's like, all right, we're bringing back Mark Andrews for this game. If the outside receivers are struggling because of the physical play from the cornerbacks and Mark Andrews isn't able to like, or you get overly dependent on forcing the ball to Mark Andrews, then it, that gives time for Chris Jones and George Karloftis and the guys on that defensive front and Steve Spagnola to start dialing up some blitzes. I'm not saying it's likely and there's a reason that they're underdogs, but, but if Kansas city wins this game it's because of what their defense is able to do to make the Baltimore offense uncomfortable and force Lamar to be spectacular, which to this point in the season, we haven't seen yet.
2: Do you think that happens though in man? In man coverage? I think that happens more in zone coverage. Like well, you you're forcing receivers you to go be, make a play. But, but you, you can't, can't have be your physical. back. But you can't, yeah. But also in man coverage, if you're damn, like playing physical with those guys, your back's going to be to Lamar. The entire time as a cornerback, you can't come and help.
0: Well, and that's if why he takes I, off the runs. Which and that's the thing is like, first of all, when I say Lamar has to be spectacular, Lamar is spectacular. What he can do on the ground, he's literally the yeah, leading they, rusher he, for Baltimore, and yeah. like he's got eight hundred yards on the ground. Like Lamar is spectacular. What I'm talking about is him playing an overall perfect game. And the thing yeah. is, is they can do all of that in the passing game, and Lamar can still break your back on a third and twelve by breaking off a crazy run, and it won't even yeah, matter. Exactly. So what I'm saying is that this is the perfect world. This is the world where the Chiefs win this football game. And if this is the case, where they play that really good press man coverage, that means you're going to need exceptional safety play from the two guys behind the outside cornerbacks. And you need Willie Gay and you need uh, Nick Bolton to be unbelievable in terms of getting Lamar to ground. But when you look at the games that Baltimore has struggled in this year, you look at that Cleveland game, that's what Cleveland did. Is they played super physical at the line of scrimmage with the wide receivers, and then you had Grant Delpit and you had Jeremiah Usu getting after them, and more importantly, you had an elite pass rusher and Miles Garrett getting after the quarterback. And Lamar yeah, Pittsburgh got does that too. It beat him La- twice. Yeah, and I think Lamar got sacked four or five times in that game against Cleveland. So to me, it's like the defense is the is going to be the engine because I think with with Mahomes, you're always going to get a base level of points. But if the defense can go out there and play a, a, a not a perfect game, but an awesome, awesome game, physical, match the level of physicality that Baltimore has played at, because that's the one thing is no team has, has matched the physicality that Baltimore has played at this year. I think, I think Kansas City can. Because of the way that their cornerbacks and their secondary plays physical, because of their linebacker play, because of Chris Jones, but then on the offensive side of the ball, you have one of the most physical running backs in the NFL, and Isaiah Pacheco, who he doesn't care if he's a little banged up, if he's got a groin or an ankle or whatever, he's going to hit you like a fucking sledgehammer. So, kidding I, too,
2: this is a, this is a prime Kinnan game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 again, I think Baltimore. For the most part, is going to control this game. And I don't think it's going to matter because they have too many different ways to beat you. And Lamar is such a Swiss Army knife. But, and this is the last thing I'll say in favor of Kansas City before I officially announce my pick. Lamar has never won a big-time playoff game. Right? The wins on his resume from the playoff perspective were wild card and/or this past week, divisional rounds. He's anytime he's gone up against Mahomes. And he had a quote in his press conference this week, which I just saw um, that he said, well, where was it? I had it here a second ago, which was about his uh, him facing Mahomes. He goes, I don't like competing against him at all, which is a testament to how great Lamar uh, Mahomes is. But I'm also curious, like if Lamar comes in and all of a sudden starts throwing these ducks, if it's Lamar get when he won the MVP against the Chargers that year in the playoffs, I mean, we could be looking at the Chiefs walking into the super bowl again if lamar doesn't come in and do his job the way he's supposed to do it or if lamar goes hero ball and he tries to run too much or if he relies too much on mark andrews what he needs to do is go in and play their game but if kansas city makes that hard and makes lamar be the one to beat them then i think you're kind of that that actually hurts baltimore a little bit because so far in in big time games like we've seen it in the regular season but in big time playoff games lamar hasn't showed up the way that we've expected him to So I think a lot of people are going to come in heavy on Baltimore here. I'm going to take the Chiefs plus four. Mahomes is an underdog. It gives you the leeway if it's a close game. I say this knowing very, very well that Baltimore's defense could just absolutely obliterate Kansas City. But I'm going to take Kansas City plus four because Mahomes is an underdog and you're getting that four points. To me, that's that's a lot. You can't argue with it.
1: You cannot argue with it. That's
0: yeah. a, that's a thing
2: at this stage, man. I think, and and to yeah. be clear, I think we got the the top four or the final four is correct. Like these are the four best teams in the NFL.
0: Agreed. Like agree we got right. it right. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. So Vito, real quick, you picked the Ravens minus four, but 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 by a hair, I did. right? Yes. yes, very close. I just think uh I believe in them, especially at home. Good. For, I mean, look, for I Baltimore did, first home playoff game for Baltimore in like forty years or something, something crazy since the Baltimore Colts. For, That's how Champions, long it's been. A, a, AFC championship, championship game, game. Sorry, game. yeah, not yeah. playoff game. At home, AFC championship game. Yeah, it was in the seventies, I think. Um, I mean, look, I want to take the Ravens because I just I they're playing literally the best football that DVI has ever has yeah. ever recorded. But that dude's on that dude's on the other side, and I I I literally I came into this podcast picking the Ravens, and this is how much I've waffled. I think I've gone back and forth like four or five times this week, and I I think I'm leaning on Kansas City just because I I worry about Lamar being trying to be Superman, and I think there's a very good chance that he tries to do that. I don't know. I'm excited. All right, next game, NFC Championship game. Scotty, do you want to go first or last? I'll give you the choice. Um, What do you think, bud? I think I'll go last. You want to go last? All right. Uh, Vito, you you kick us off here. Niners, Lions. Niners are a seven-point favorite in this game. Yeah. And uh,
1: damn, I just – during this pod, I saw it jump up to seven and a half, back to seven, up to seven and a half, back to seven. So – it's been all over. Um, listen. I think, Scotty, I'm sorry to say, I think a lot of people are rooting for the Lions here, right? It's just the no. team. It's the really? line. It's it, And maybe I'm just right here, right? I don't know if you guys know this. Cleveland no, I, is only I a two-hour right. drive to Detroit. So very close. Um, and the fact that they're not in the same conference actually makes a lot of friends, right? It's good to have a team nearby that's on the other side, um, the Lions obviously have a lot going for them uh, defensively and offensively. I think they've they've meshed as a team. Um, you could argue that Penny Sewell's one of the best tackles in football uh, on the right side, especially like the, just that line in general. I, I think you can't talk enough about Gibbs. I mean, I mean, when Jeff went through the awards earlier, what they had Laporta and Gibbs are both up for rookie yeah. of the year. And right, they're both just been well, we got incredible. got two MVP they're...
2: candidates. What's your point?
1: What I'm <clears throat> oh, I like it. He's he's coming in hot. Uh, what I'm saying is that with that and Saint Brown, they're gonna have at least enough weapons to spread the ball around. Right now, what I will say, like I think I think Ward's your best player on defense or well uh, in the secondary. But what I will say is that on your offense, like we've all talked about, the difference Trent Williams has had. And, you know, I use there. Do we hear about what's going on with Devo? Is he going to be able to play? He, pra- he
2: practiced today. He practiced he limited today. But he was on the side still, on that uh, yesterday. Still, still up limited, in the air, though.
1: Yeah. It's still I, about 50 I don't see a
2: world where he doesn't play this game. I don't.
1: Especially if he practiced, like, he'll get a shot and do what he needs to. I
0: mean, limited practice doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other. I, 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 I'd That's say true. it's still probably about 50-50. Um, so I think that
1: that is a big deal, but I think even without him, when you're talking about McCaffrey, the line, the system, the offense I believe in that defense has not been perfect for the Lions by any means. Um, I think that this offense is gonna be able to exploit the shit out of them, honestly. But I do think the Lions offense is going to have, you know, some shit to say about this game. I I will tell you guys this. Most fans will never know this, but uh of the pod. My dad is a is a Niners fan. When he moved to America, he went to Stanford and NorCal. That's a good book. Uh, well, Stanford and Berkeley. Uh, he's a smart motherfucker. went to both? Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> he, so, fun fact, my it's dad paradox. has the record for the fastest <laughs> PhD at Stanford ever because he went to both and took classes at both because he's crazy. So your dad? I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, dude, brilliant guy. Awesome That's dude. Six um, babe
2: papavitz. At a boy. Yeah,
1: right? Yeah. Shout out Victor. Um, but then my mom is from Detroit. She grew up, uh, you know, a family of nine and a bunch of her siblings worked. Their dad worked at Ford. A lot of them worked in Dearborn, Michigan. This is a battle of my parents, which has never happened in any meaningful game ever. A, yeah, right? not I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When the Lions playoff game, let well, well, no. alone Has not <laughs> been when the, uh, the Niners, you know, it's crazy. So um, I'm loving this this has been so fun i've been egging on my family group chat just trying to get my parents to talk some shit like right about football like i'm loving my i have three sisters for all the other listeners out there so like football is not in a family group chat really ever for me i'm so i'm trying to egg it on trying to get it in there no one's interested um trying to get it going but uh no gotta gotta love it i think it's gonna be a good matchup i do think the niners win i think you guys have enough on the offense to exploit that lion's d I do think that uh, their offense will have something to say about it. Um, Listen, if I, you're going to win this game seven to seven and a half points. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot like last week. Um, But I'll tell you what, I'm going to go ahead. And uh, like I said, I'm going to take the lions. I think they can cover, but I think you guys win and Again, against the spread, the Lions are thirteen and six. The Niners are nine, eight, and one. Um, and Scott, I think you were saying you guys are way worse at home, and the Lions are great at home or on the yeah, road. Yeah, well,
2: against the spread, like uh, yeah, if you look yeah. at the splits, I think we're we're under five hundred against the spread at home uh, this season, and the Lions are uh, well above it. I think they're seven and two or seven two and one uh, on the road uh, against the That's, spread.
1: That's awesome. So again, in a game where you're going to give the Lions seven to seven and a half oh, we're staying at seven yeah. i think for our picks and uh i'm gonna go ahead and take the lines plus a touchdown does not mean that i think they're gonna win it does not mean they could get blown out but i do think the lines end up uh covering that game
0: i think the lines win <clears throat> oh well, you're and, dead to me <laughs> look this this is my objective opinion this is not Subjective. No, it's not. not. Just fucking
2: us. say it. I go and pick your team fourteen fucking weeks out or seventeen weeks out of the year, and you come in with this hey, bullshit. I picked against.
0: I picked against my own team more than anyone else on this podcast. Great, and I sat okay? here and
2: picked yours, and now you're gonna shit on mine because Get that out of
0: has here. That has nothing to do with it, Scott. It has nothing ah, to bullshit. do with it, bud. I'm sorry. Okay. Bullshit. I think it's fucking very, very land likely bullshit. that the Niners win this game and go on to the Super Bowl. I do. I do think it's very likely, okay? The reason I'm picking the Lions, and I I said a little bit of this on Tuesday's pod, the Lions remind me a lot of the University of Washington, right, during the college football playoff. It lost. Vito Vito is holding up. Spoiler alert. I was talking about the semifinal, which they won, okay? And the reason – that I was pulling and, and and believed in Washington as much as I did was because that team was battle tested. That team won a bunch of weird games. They had that game against Arizona, which Arizona ended up becoming a really good football. Like we learned later was ended up being a really good football team, right? They were battle tested. They had games where their defense got shredded apart against Oregon, right? And then they had games where the offense couldn't move the football against Arizona. And then they still found ways to win. The game against Washington State at the end of the season, who was like a 500 team, but a a frisky 500 team. They still found ways to win. Detroit has had the ups and downs. Detroit has been battle tested as much as any team in football at home. (laughs) And on the road, they've gotten their Mm -hmm. ass beat. They've also beaten other teams' ass. All right. I really like what this Detroit team does fundamentally which is they are sound across the board at almost every single position. And where they dominate is the line of scrimmage. And the one position or two positions, you could say that the the San Francisco 49ers have proven over the last like four to five weeks that they do not dominate is the line of scrimmage. All right. Their defensive line has outside of Nick Bosa has really been a non-factor. They were a non-factor against the, the Packers and I we said this on, on Tuesday's pod too, the Packers and the Lions are probably finished out as two of the top three offensive lines in football. The right side of that offensive line for San Francisco has been pretty mediocre for the most part. Trent Williams, incredible. The rest of them, pretty good to mediocre. Aiden Hutchinson's lining up against the right side of that offensive line, which means you're going to have to sacrifice George Kittle as an offensive receiver To protect Brock Purdy, because I guarantee you, Kyle Shanahan remembers vividly what happened last year when they tried to block an elite pass rusher with a tight end. It knocked their quarterback out of the playoffs. Kyle Shanahan is another reason why I'm hesitant to take the Niners in this game, because Kyle Shanahan has proven time after time that in big moments, he's not the most clutch coach. He can be brilliant, he can create this amazing coaching tree below him, he can do all these awesome things. But in big games, how many times has he not showed up? He was bad last week. And you can't blame that on Debo Debo Samuel. He was bad. The clock management, the game management, the play calling, all of that stuff in big moments when you are the head coach and you're also calling plays, you are managing so many things on your plate. And on top of that too, it's kind of that like don't half-ass two things, whole ass one thing mentality I think in Mm -hmm. big games, when the pressure ratchets up to its highest, I think it's really difficult to be the play calling head coach and the game manager at the same time. Not to say Mm -hmm. it's impossible. We've seen people do it all the time. in college. I do it, Matt. He
2: he did it last week in the fourth quarter, but yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, after they were losing to the seven seed, Scotty. Still. He also was doing it when he was the playoffs. He he was just the the offensive coordinator in 28 to 3. Like, there have been plenty of times. How was he during the game against the Chiefs the last time Kyle Shanahan was coaching in the Super Bowl? Like, mm-hmm. you can't you can't sit there, and I know you're Mr. Positivity move right now, as you should be, as you should be, but you also can't look and not say that Kyle Shanahan has not choked in big moments in the postseason. He went up against Sean McVay in the NFC Championship game two years ago. What happened? He got his aspect. He got completely outcoached in that game by Sean McVay, even though Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay in every other game that they've played. Sean McVay beat him in the biggest game of their careers going head to head. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if you're going to give me seven points and I'm going to look at this, you're looking at this team with Detroit who defensively, has gotten so much better in the secondary as the season's gone on. They're the number one run defensive team in the league. If you get Debo Samuel, you're getting a fraction of what Debo Samuel normally is. Brandon Ayuk hasn't made a big play outside of like what he had, like one big catch and one big touchdown again against Green Bay. But other than that, he's been basically like a non-factor in the offense for the last like month of the season. Kittle's been the biggest part of it, but they're going to need Kittle to stay in block. Or they're going to have to keep use check-in. And then the second, because of that offensive line, the multiplicity that we've talked about with Kyle Shanahan's offense and how they can flex around with all these five guys and go five wide and then run 12 personnel or 21 personnel and they can flirt around, that becomes less effective when their offensive line isn't good enough to stop what has been a really good pass rush. Now, I'm saying all of this understanding that the Detroit Lions are playing in the NFC Championship game for the first time in 35, 40 years, and they're going to be relying on four rookies to play really good football. Brian Branch, Jack Campbell, Jameer Gibbs, and Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta is a big problem for San Francisco because no matter what Sam Laporta does, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, or one of the safeties is going to have to pay attention to him, which gives one-on-one opportunities for Jamison Williams for Monro St. Brown and for Josh Reynolds. They can beat you in so many ways. And the biggest thing of all that I'm fully bought in with the Lions is that Jared Goff is playing the singular best football in his entire career. And you can make the argument that in the playoffs, he has been the best quarterback, not named Patrick Mahomes. At home. Say at home all you want. What I've said just there is a fact. What you said is a fact. Give credit where credit's due. Again, I still think it's very likely the Lions win or the the Niners win this game. But I believe in this Lions team. I really, really do. I think they are battle tested and I think they're going to win this game and then probably get their ass kicked in the Super Bowl. But I think the Lions get it done. I'm taking the Lions plus seven and I love them on the money line if you want to sprinkle a little bit of extra action on them, because I think there's a very, very real world where the Lions win this football game.
2: Yeah, no, I like.
0: For the record, look, that's why I it, asked if you wanted to go first because I knew I was taking the lines. So I didn't know if you wanted to respond or if you wanted yeah, to be
2: always able to the respond. contrarian. Uh look, I
0: you're the contrarian. I, I think, Fuck out of here.
2: I think I think you you have a point. Like they they can very well get in there and and control the line of scrimmage and move the ball in the running game. At the same time, their running game runs through the middle, and you're not getting through. I, look, Chase Young has two sacks, but he's been a disruptor in the middle. Eric Armstead doesn't have many sacks, but he's a disruptor in the middle. He um, hasn't
0: been. Neither has Chase Young. Chase Young was a non-factor yes, dis- in the game against Green Bay. They're not disruptors.
2: Yes, they are.
0: No, they're not. I literally, li- I, I literally watched and listened to multiple podcasts about it this week. They have done like Eric Armstead's had the worst stretch of his career since being in San Francisco the last two months. Javon Hargrave, All same right. thing, because he's battling through injuries. Chase Young has done nothing.
2: Great, oh, yeah. So fuck Jay. us. We stink. No, yeah, no, the I- defense I- sucks.
0: Yeah. Oh, fuck the Niners. Yeah. The defense is sick. I just said. It's likely. No, the a reason not. they're seven-point favorites. I'm saying facts. Look, man,
2: Look, man I, I think they're going to be able to disrupt the run game. Uh, that that offensive line is sick for Detroit. It's it's nasty. It's going to be the best one they go up against all season long. Guaranteed. Whoever we play in the – well, maybe except for the Ravens. Nah, no, I'll give it to, the, to Detroit. It's going to be the best offensive line we go up against all season long for sure. Um, for sure. But I think, you know, part of, part of where you can dictate the game at home is, is getting Jerry Goff uncomfortable in the passing game early and often. So they're going to send blitz a lot like early. You're going to see that no doubt. And if it doesn't work, doesn't work. Then we dial it back, say, Hey, Fred, you're going to play more in coverage. Dragoon Greenlaw, You're going to play more in coverage, which is what we saw in the fourth quarter against the Packers. I can see that playing out a lot. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball the way that last week played out. Um on the other hand, you got a guy in Brock Purdy who Jeff hates, uh who's only in the playoffs been fucking phenomenal. Only he was done... terrible
0: last week. But okay. terrible
2: last week. guys. Yeah, it's great. But in two uh two seasons including the playoffs, he's 20 and five and we averaged 29.2, 17 Correct. and 3, and we averaged 31 with Brock and Debo and Trent on the field at the same time. He led six categories in the NFL in the regular season. He's top five in QBR and eight categories in the regular season and in the playoffs last year and this year combined. He's in the top five of all of those categories as well. You'd say the same thing about Jared Goff, who has a similar storyline, number one overall draft pick going against the the last pick in the draft. Uh, and, and they have similar paths. Uh, Brock's really good. Oh, all of a sudden we got a shit on him. Uh, Jared Goff stinks. We got to kick him out to Detroit. Wait, wait a minute. He's pretty good, right? Um, so, so here we are with these two quarterbacks facing off against each other. And I think it's really going to come down to them. That back end for Detroit is going to be the difference in the game. I think, especially if Debo's out on the field, the problem that he presents and the problem that Christian McCaffrey presents on the outside as a receiver is going to be the difference in the game. Um, and you can all piss off with, with, this Lions bullshit. The story's great, everybody. Dan Campbell, you got a ton of time. You're gonna have a ton of bites at the apple over the next decade. Fuck off. This is our year. Niners are rolling in this game. 42 to 10.
0: Oh, I, I love it, Scotty. I, I do too. I do. Ugh. And and look, I expect nothing less out of you, Scotty. It's nothing less. I don't hate Brock Purdy. I hate this narrative that you, you like do. to create. I don't. I accurately great the Narrative.
2: It? These are stats, bud.
0: Nick Foles won a Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Is he is he is he better than Tom Brady? They went head to head one time in their career. I'm not Who saying won? they are. Who I'm won? just
2: saying they're stats. I'm just
0: saying stats are stats, context is context. And I'm adding context to Brock Purdy, which is that he's a very, very good quarterback. Like I said, I'm giving you literally shit. You four you days ago. I'll get, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But what I love about this, Scotty, is that you are doing what so many fans across the country, particularly in these four main cities: Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, and San Francisco are doing, which is that we all find ways to make ourselves the underdog, right? And I love that Niners fans are like, Chip nobody, on the shoulder belie- for Brock. nobody believes yeah. in us. Kansas nobody City nobody fans are Brock. saying, nobody respects Patrick Mahomes, even though everyone in the world respects Patrick Mahomes. People respect Brock Purdy. People respect Jared Goff. People respect Lamar. And all of these things. People do it across the board. But this is a part of being a fan, is when you're in these moments you talk yourself into it, unless you're from Philly, in which case you just expect terrible things to happen to you at all times, which is what I do. But every other fan base in expects. Well, hey, but Detroit's even like buying into the the underdog thing, right? Because they haven't been there; they haven't they don't have the scars, right? If this goes poorly, it's going to be a big old scar that they're going to carry with them for a long time, right? And that's fine. That's it. You're going to have t- a bite at the apple for the next decade. But okay? but <laughs> I love I love that the Niners are now like. Oh, I've said it all year that they're the most talented team in football. It's like nobody believes in us. No one thinks we're any good. No, you're really fucking good. Nobody believes in Kansas City. No one likes Patrick Mahomes. No, Patrick Mahomes is the arguably the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Like, I just love this. I love this about fandom. I love this about football that it brings out this this like primal side of us where they're like, no one believes us. We're gonna go ahead and fucking tackle this thing. Like NFL films, music should be playing in the background at all times. Like, I just. I love this. I love this. I love the energy out of your Scotty. And I would expect nothing less from you. And again, I think it's very likely that a 42 to 10 outcome is just as just as equally possible as the Lions winning this game. I wholeheartedly believe that. I just have a hard time going against the nobody believes in us team and the underdog story. And 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 I just like I did with the Chiefs, I talked myself in the Lions. I'm going double underdogs here. Vito's rolling with the Ravens, the favorites in the AFC championship. He's taking the Lions uh on the on, on the points, which I think is the smart move. Take them at plus seven. Yeah. Betting. No, I
2: look at the end of the day, uh, uh that number is a lot.
0: Yeah. Like but look, I can see Debo, this going
2: like last week. And like so and we much pulled of last, a, a four or five point win.
0: But so much Me. of last week had to do with Debo. And like how much of the plan was it to be about Debo in that game against Green Bay? Like, I guarantee it was a lot but of But You figured it was, out,
2: yeah, they had to figure out mid game. Like, if yeah. you know whether or not you're going to have Debo or not, that makes Friday and, and Saturday's walkthroughs a hell of a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. And if Debo plays, then, yeah, I, I do think the Lions are in trouble. Like, I, I really do. But there's just I, – I get the same gut feeling about the Lions that I got about the Washington, which is, like, there's something about teams that have gotten their teeth kicked in and how they respond. And I look at what San Francisco's done since they got their teeth kicked in, and I haven't been super impressed yet. And I know we I don't count week 18. That game doesn't matter, you know, because it was all backups playing in that game. But like right. the Green Bay game after the bye, you could say it's rust. You know, I just to me, there's so many variables that like you can make an argument in so many different ways. And I ultimately, play football. we can very easily walk in when we do this podcast, you know, four days from now or three days from now, whatever it is, and we will talk about, damn, can't believe the Ravens. And Jeff, what a fucking idiot you are thinking the Lions are going to win this game. They lost by 30. Like, that is totally realistic. you not
2: believe you hated Brock Purdy that much.
0: But I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this weekend. It's going to be fucking awesome. It's going to be great. Good luck to the Niners, Scotty. I, I again, as Appreciate your friend, that. I want this for you. I do. As a fan of football, I really want to see the Detroit lions in the Super Bowl Cause I think that'd be fucking awesome, but I'd be sad for you too. It'd be a bitter. it'd be, you know, it's, it's on both sides. It's on both sides. All right. That's all we got. Long pod had a lot to get to, but I'm glad we did it. Uh, everyone have an awesome weekend. Enjoy it. Two games on Sunday. And then we have one left after this. Uh, when we hear about the last two positions, which will probably be at some point in the next few days between the commanders and the Seahawks, we will cover it on the pod. Uh, but get ready for Tuesday because Tuesday's pod will be all recapping the AFC and NFC Championship game, and probably yeah. the first look ahead at the Super Bowl. Even though we're gonna flip flop a hundred times, no matter what teams are in there, we're gonna change our minds a million times. I'm gonna, gonna enjoy, enjoy be this. Very weekend. happy
2: or very sad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. I, either way, Scotty's gonna be hammered. Podcast. <laughs> whether it's uh, beers That's of jo- beers of joy or beers of sadness, uh, Scotty will be partaking. So I'll um, good. That's all we got for the boys. I wouldn't bet on that. <laughs> Scotty and Vito. Thank you guys. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, we are approaching almost twenty thousand downloads, which is crazy. And uh just thank you guys as always. We love you guys. We will be back in uh in a couple of days to preview the Super Bowl and to recap the championship weekend. So until then, as always, take it easy, everybody.